Isaiah chapter 6 is our scripture for this morning. So in the Old Testament, often people will say if you open your Bible to the middle, it might fall to the book of Psalms. Mine usually falls to Isaiah if I open it to the, uh, the middle. So either take out your phone and find the book of Isaiah or open your hard copy of the Bible toward the middle and hopefully you find the book of Isaiah. It has a lot of chapters in it. We're going this morning to be looking at Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to make our way through all of the chapter. But just getting started, I want to read verses 1 through 7 for us as we get started this morning. Verses will be up on the screen if you don't have a copy of the Bible in front of you. Let's look at God's Word together this morning. Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this powerful passage from your word. God, I pray this morning as we study scripture, God, that we would be able to look up, that we would lift up our eyes and see how great you are in the midst of all of our junk, in the midst of all of our darkness and difficulty that we face. God, you reign over it all. You alone are worthy of our worship. You alone have all power. And so we trust you. And God, show us more this morning of what that means. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week on Easter, Easter 2023, we looked at the end of the Gospel of Mark, and we saw that surprisingly, the end of the Gospel of Mark ends with this idea of fear. And so we asked the question on Easter Sunday, what could cause me to miss the power of the resurrection? When I think about praying for you as a church, when I think about preaching, when I think about trying to pastor this church family— I don't want you to miss the power of the resurrection, that you would go through life and never experience how good Jesus is, what it is that he took your sin, what it is that he rose from the dead, and the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead can dwell in you, can empower your life and everything you do and hope for all of eternity. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus is the good news for the world. Don't miss it. And what could cause us to miss the power of the resurrection? Fear. Fear can stand in the way. Now, you might fill in that blank with a lot of other answers, but fear is one of the main things that would cause us to miss what God wants to do in our lives. And so last week, we talked about three kinds of fear that can cause us to miss the power of Easter, the power of the resurrection. There is the fear that the past will control me, that the present will overwhelm me, and that the future will disappoint me. And those three types of fear in different ways were worked into the end of the Gospel of Mark, and they are fears that we still deal with today. 
And so if you're thinking, I don't want to miss God's work in my life, there has to be something more. The power of Jesus at work in me, what does that really look like? Don't let the past dominate and control your life. And next week, we'll talk about that. How do I keep that from happening? We can't live in constant fear of the future. And two weeks from now, we're going to talk about that. But today, I want us to deal with this reality of we can't let the fear of the present, what we're going through right now, completely overwhelm our lives so that we miss what God wants to do right now in our lives. So the question is, what kind of things tend to overwhelm us? Some books, some movies that might give you an idea about this. How about our friend Alexander on his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Uh, now, Alexander, that's a great book. One of my personal favorites is called Sneezy Louise. Anybody familiar with Sneezy Louise? Like, we love to read this book with our kids when they were younger. So here's what happens with Sneezy Louise, okay? It says on page one that as Louise stumbled down the stairs for breakfast, she knew, she just knew that this was not going to be an easy day. Her eyes were itchy, her throat was wheezy, and her nose was very, very sneezy. I'm going to leave you to read the rest of the book later. So, uh. <laughs> Needless to say, Louise does not have a good day. Her sneezing causes all kinds of trouble for her and all the people around her, and it just completely overwhelms her day. Or you might be like the middle daughter of the Madrigal family from an Encanto movie, uh, Louisa, who feels like she has to deal with everybody else's problems around her. She's carrying her burdens and everybody else's burdens, and she looks strong on the outside, but all of these problems in life are about to crush her because of what she's going through. Now let's think about some real-life things that overwhelm us. The reality of family, difficulties that you might be dealing with right now in your family, in your marriage, with your kids, at your household, caring for aging parents, and it feels like those realities in your family, they're about to crush you. They threaten to overwhelm your life. Sometimes in life it feels like I can't spin any more plates. Like I'm spinning all the plates that I can spin right now. I'm juggling all the balls that I can. If somebody throws me another ball to juggle, I literally don't know what I'm going to do right now in life. Finances. When the money is not adding up and you start to get afraid, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by all the bills that are coming in, by how low the number is in the checking account, the negative that's in front of the number in the checking account. I feel overwhelmed by, by the finances around me. Maybe you're overwhelmed by sickness. Maybe there's a diagnosis in your life, a diagnosis in the lives of the people around you that is just overwhelming. The problem with sickness is it doesn't just affect your body, it affects your mind and your heart and your soul and everything else going on around you. Maybe it's a mental health situation that it just overwhelms everything. You wake up and you're like Louise. You know it's going to be a very, very long day just because of how you feel when you get out of bed. Most of us, you can take all those types of being overwhelmed and we're just overwhelmed when we look at the calendar. Like you look at the calendar and you think we are so busy. How are we going to be able to operate when all of these things are coming at us on the, on the calendar and it can start to feel overwhelming and in those moments of feeling overwhelmed, some people get angry and fight. Some people just run away. 
And some people just freeze and say, I'm just going to like zombie walk through life, you know, sleepwalk through life. I just, I just can't. I have so many things going on in my life right now. I can't deal with any of them. And then you add spiritual doubts on top of that. And even just me talking about this is kind of like causing my anxiety to go up a little bit. Like I wrote all these illustrations and I'm feeling the, feeling the weight right now. I don't know where you are in your life this morning. But we know what it feels like to feel overwhelmed, to feel burdened, to feel crushed. And those are just our problems. And then somebody comes along, and they don't mean to, but they put their problem on top of you. Or sometimes they do mean to, and they put their problem on top of you. And so you're not only carrying your burdens, but you're carrying all the burdens of the people around you. The question is, where does the resurrection of Jesus show up? Where does the power of God show up when I feel completely overwhelmed. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Here's what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Okay, let's look at that first phrase together. The first phrase here says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, King Uzziah is a good king. There are not a lot of good kings in the Old Testament. They, they struggle to find a good king for the people of God. But, but King Uzziah is generally considered a good king. First thing to know about Uzziah, he became king when he was 16 years old. How many 16-year-olds do you know that you want to take over as, as king of the people? So uh, he takes over as king at 16, and he reigns for 52 years. Began at 16, reigns for 52 years, and they are good years for the people of God. It's a prosperous time. Things are going well. The problem is, toward the end of Uzziah's life, he becomes prideful, and it begins to have consequences for him and, and for the people. What you find for the people of God at this time is when Uzziah reigned, things were going so well, they were so successful, that they didn't see little spiritual problems that were creeping in. Think about that for our lives. Think about what happens when things are going so well, so successful. Take a church, take your life, take a country, take all these things. When things are good, we don't see the little spiritual problems that are creeping in. And God sent prophets to tell them, and they didn't see them. And then when those problems finally emerge, it's too late. And, and now they're in trouble. And not only are they in trouble because of these spiritual problems, but... but Uzziah has been reigning, and on the side is an Assyrian empire that's beginning to come to power. And so around the year 745 B.C., Tiglath-Pileser III, ruler of the Assyrians, he begins to come to power. And when Uzziah dies, it turns out his son is a lousy ruler, and it turns out his grandson actually likes hanging out with the Assyrians. And so now the people of God are really in trouble. And so when Uzziah dies... What has been a place of pride turns into a place of panic and pain for the people of God. When Uzziah dies, the people look up and they are overwhelmed. They're in trouble. They've got spiritual trouble and they have political trouble and things are not looking good. So what does the prophet Isaiah do in the middle of verse 1? What happens to him? In the middle of being overwhelmed, what does he do? I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the middle of his pain, in the middle of the panic that the people had, what did he do? He looked up, and he saw the greatness of his God. 
Ask yourself, did any of the circumstances change when Isaiah looked up? Nope. They're still in political trouble. They're still in spiritual trouble. They still have an army coming after them. They're still, they got, they got bad situation on their hands. What changed his perspective where he was looking? He's no longer looking at the storm. He's looking at the Savior, to use the New Testament idea. He's no longer looking at the problems. He's looking up, and he is seeing the greatness of his God. Verse 2, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. These beings aren't mentioned very much uh, in the Old Testament, but seraphim gives off this idea of flame. Of, of the burning ones. You think about the role of fire in the Old Testament, the fiery swords that, that guard the Garden of Eden, uh, the fiery burning bush that doesn't ever burn up, the Gideon's torches, the fire that comes out from heaven and, and takes over the altar with Elijah, the fire that you see coming down on the disciples at Pentecost. Fire in Scripture is a sign of God's power and God's presence. And Isaiah looks up and he, he sees what it would have looked like fire all around in this scene. Verse 3, and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. There's an interesting piece of theology that is in verse 3 that you might be really interested in when we talk about God's character. Here's the way it's normally described. The way we normally describe God's character is the holiness of God is his hidden interior reality. Holiness is who God is, that, that he is not us. He is God, we are not. It, it's what makes God distinct, his purity, his, his perfection. So holiness is often considered kind of that hidden reality of who God is. Glory is God's holiness put on display for the world to see. So when we think about holiness, we're thinking about the core of God's character, who he is. He is perfectly holy. He is God. I am not. Thank God for that. That he is perfect in all of his ways. And when we talk about God's glory, it's his holiness and power being displayed for all to see. So in this verse, these are big words, but let me go ahead and throw them out there because they'll be helpful. In this verse, we see God's transcendence how transcendent he is. He's above all things, beyond all things, and yet he doesn't remain away from us, does he? He comes near, and we call that God's eminence. I-M-M-A-N-E-N-C-E-N-C. -N -C -E -N -C. Eminence. It sounded good in my head. I-M-M-A-N-E-N-C. -E Whatever. Google it. Um, the point is, the point is, this verse is meant to simultaneously take us to God's greatness, that he is above and beyond all things, that he reigns over all. And at the same time, this verse is meant to remind us that his greatness is poured out into the world for all to see. It tells us both of those, both part of his character at the same time. Verse 4, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. If I could just make one note on verse 4, I was going to move past. I want to make one note on verse 4. Sometimes, and, and I know what we mean by this, but sometimes when we talk about God, we just talk about the big man upstairs. Can I just give you so much caution on saying that? When you see the Isaiah chapter 6 God, 
this is not just the big man upstairs. This is the God of all majesty and glory. This is the God of all power. This is the one who is perfectly holy in all his ways. This is the one who is so far beyond anything we could ever imagine. And when we get this idea of just the big man upstairs, it so weakens and so diminishes who our God is. And when you are in the middle of problems and you are being overwhelmed, you don't need a big man upstairs. You need the God of the universe. You need the God of all glory and power. You need a God who is holy in all his ways. That's what you need. And that's what Isaiah needs in this moment. He doesn't just need the big man upstairs. And he definitely just doesn't get the big man upstairs. He gets God in all of his power. So what does Isaiah do in verse 5? What does he do in verse 5? He said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah sees how great God is, his own sin, his own weakness, the darkness of the world around him becomes even more clear. He realizes we are in trouble in comparison to God's holiness, to who God is. Imagine someone that goes out to an area that doesn't have very much light pollution. I'm incredibly jealous of you that live out in the country away from the light pollution where you can, you can look up and you can see the stars, see the galaxy, see the galaxies. Imagine someone that goes out to an area like that. And you look up into the sky at night, and you see all of these stars. You see how great those stars are, the galaxies. And you look up, and you think to yourself, man, I am amazing. Like, I'm just a remarkable person. If you ever do that, <laughs> let's call for help uh, at that moment. Like, that's not a healthy idea. If you look up and see the greatness of the stars, the greatness of the galaxies, if you go out to a place that's like that, what do you feel? You feel small. You feel insignificant. You feel overwhelmed by the greatness of what you see. When Isaiah sees how great God is, he sees the depth of his need for that God. When we come face to face with the greatness of God, we in that moment recognize how much we need him, how much we need his power and his grace and his love and his forgiveness. And verse 6, it comes. Verse 6, one of the seraphim flew to me, Isaiah says, having in his hand a burning coal that had been taken with tongs from the altar. Now, we know kind of how the story ends, so we know this is good news. Does Isaiah think this is good news when the seraphim is coming with burning coal in his hand? No way, not a chance. Here is an instrument of death coming to him. He's a man of unclean lips, meaning that the words that come out of our mouth reveal what's going on in our heart, that here these angels are crying, holy, 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 and Isaiah knows that's, not, knows that's not true for him or for his people. And here comes this burning coal toward his lips. Here's an image of death coming to him, and Isaiah thinks, well, Uzziah just died, and I'm about to be next. I'm, I'm done at this point. Verse 7. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Oh, man. That verse right there. Just take the, old, uh, take the New Testament and just lay it right on top of that verse. Like that, that is great news. This image of death becomes healing and forgiveness and life for Isaiah in this moment. That he comes, and this fire doesn't destroy him or consume him. It heals him. It refines him. It makes him pure in this moment. So verse 8, what happens? 
He heard the voice of the Lord. So he saw the Lord, and then he hears the Lord in verse 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah's just had a false creek moment, so he's like, hey, sign me up. Like, I'm, I'm ready to go. Here I am. Send me. And verse 9, the Lord said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their, eye, and their ears heavy. Blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And Isaiah thinks, uh, I'd like to take back that, <laughs> that promise. Like, I was willing to go when I thought I was going to go into a good news situation. What's the Lord sending him to do? It had to be a prophet in a hard situation where things aren't going to change quickly. Let me say this in the most straightforward, gentle, respectful way I can. When the power of the holy and glorious and living God comes into all of your darkness and pain when you feel overwhelmed and God comes into that moment with his power with his healing power it may not mean the circumstances of our life and the world around us change immediately that God is at work and he has called us to experience the resurrection of Jesus and he has sent us to share that power with others but just because that happens it doesn't mean that all of the circumstances of our life are immediately going to change and get easier or better it doesn't mean that everybody around us is going to see God's power and respond to it and so what does Isaiah say at the beginning of verse 11 he says uh, how long O Lord am I going to have to share that message how long are we going to be in this broken dark situation and how many times have you asked that question in your life when things are not going well? How, how long, oh Lord, are we going to be in this situation as a family? How long, oh Lord, before we get out of this mess, out of this darkness? In those moments, Isaiah is seeking God's guidance, God's power, God's hope in that situation. But he's crying out, how long am I going to be here? Well, what does the Lord say? Verse 11 doesn't sound like good news, but it becomes good news. He said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Like, there's work to be done here, Isaiah. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. So there is judgment to come. There is difficulty. There is destruction to come. And then the very end of the chapter, the holy seed is its stump. And that becomes good news, right? Because imagine a situation where the whole forest is burned down and yet trees begin to reemerge, begin to regrow in the midst of those ashes. Or imagine a seed that is planted in a ground, that seed dies, and then a new plant begins to grow up. Or, even better, Imagine a dead body that is placed in a tomb, placed in a cave. It looks like it's all over. What happens to that dead body? It comes back to life. This is Easter. This is good news. This is the promise that where it looks like everything is falling apart, it looks like a story all about death, you get to the very end and you find out there's hope. Why is there hope? Because we serve a God of resurrection power. Because we serve a God when it looks like everything has fallen apart, everything is burned up, everything has fallen. From that 
comes new life, comes new hope. When we are overwhelmed, the power of the resurrection does not change. There is hope because of the God that we serve. Here's what I'd like to do for you this morning. From Isaiah chapter 6, I want to give you a couple of things to think about when you feel overwhelmed. Or when you have a friend or a family member comes to you and says, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't spin another plate. I can't juggle another ball. I can't handle what's happening right now in my family, in my life. I don't know what to do. How do you help somebody in a situation like that, okay? So from Isaiah chapter 6, I think we have four different points. I just want to guide you through this of things that we can do. Number one, we are going to first get above the problems. Step number one, to overcome fear when you feel overwhelmed, step number one is we are going to get above the problems. This is the response of looking up. At Emmaus, we talk about looking up in worship with prayer and praise. This is the response that before I can deal with all these problems, I've got to get a different perspective on these problems. I've got to look up to the God of all glory and power and grace, the one who alone is able to deal with these things. Here's something, and I don't mean this as like a silly, cheesy word trick or mind trick. Here's something I would encourage you to do. The next time you feel or you say, I am overwhelmed, just finish that sentence with, I am overwhelmed by God's glory, by God's grace, by God's goodness, by God's faithfulness. So I'm admitting I feel overwhelmed right now, little umbrella over my head. What am I really overwhelmed by? The perfect umbrella, the one who holds all things together, the one who rules over the stars and the galaxies, the one who has power over life and death. He is the one who truly overwhelms me, and he overwhelms me with his grace and his goodness. Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher from history, says that when we cannot trace the hand of God, when we can't see what God is doing, we can trust his heart. When you can't trace his hand, when you can't see what he's up to, you can't see why things are happening, we can trust his heart. And so we turn to him in prayer and praise and say, God, I feel overwhelmed. I don't know what I'm going to do about this situation, but I choose to look up to you. And let's be honest, we often need someone around us to help us look up. (laughs) Because when you feel overwhelmed, when you're carrying these weights, you get so caught in the moment that you need a good friend to come alongside and say, hey, let me help you. Let's look up for a second and let's remember who's in control. Let's remember who rules all things. Let's remember the God who is transcended above all things and yet comes to us in the middle of that difficulty. So number one, we're going to get above the problems when we feel overwhelmed. Number two, then we're going to get into the problems. (laughs) We're going to say, okay, now we've got to address these things because Isaiah here, when he looks up to God, he sees God's greatness, and then what does God do? God comes right down to him in the middle of his unclean lips, in the middle of the darkness around him. And so we have to be willing to get into those problems. We have to be willing to deal with some of the things going on around us. Because when we feel overwhelmed, so often you're like, I just don't even know what to do. You, you just freeze. I have no idea what to do next. This is when you need a church family. This is when you need a good friend to step in and say, let me help you. Let me encourage you. Let me, let me walk with you through these things because we've got to deal with, with some of these problems. When you're dealing with problems like this that threaten to overwhelm you, what you're trying to do 
is just say, okay, what is the, what is the next step I can take? Because most of the time in those problems, if it was just one problem you're dealing with in life, you're like, okay, no big deal. But when it rains, it pours, right? Like, problems never come one at a time in life. Like, they come in bunches. Like, it just rains on you. And you're like, I don't know which one to deal with at this point. And you've got a friend that comes along and says, hey, let's just focus on this. Let's deal with these things one at a time. I'm going to help you walk, walk through this. Coaching baseball, or, or really any sport, but coaching baseball, we often talk to the players about just do the next right thing. So you mess up, you make a bad throw, you swing and miss, you, you mess up something. If you're stuck in that problem, just do the next right thing. Just figure out, okay, what, what do I need to respond? Because what happens in life, and, and you, I've made this mistake, you know people that have made this mistake. Here's what happens in a person's life. They get overwhelmed. Life's coming at you fast. Difficulties are coming at you. Problems are, you get overwhelmed, and then you make a really dumb, unwise, sometimes sinful decision. And what happens? The problems get worse, and now we're panicking. And then we feel embarrassed, and so what happens in that situation? You isolate yourself from the very people that could help you walk out of that because you feel shame, and you feel embarrassment, and you feel overwhelmed. You're like, well, I'm just, ne- I'm just not going to deal with any of this. Well, that's not going to work. That doesn't change the reality of life. We have to say, okay, what is the next step I can take? How can I isolate one of these problems? How can I deal with this? And then begin to take steps forward. And you need friends. In the moment of feeling overwhelmed, we need someone to come alongside us and help us to walk through these things, to deal with these things. What, what's something that I can handle? What's something I can address in this moment? Number three. So we're going to get above the problems. We're going to get into the problems. If possible, we'd like to get ahead of the problems. (laughs) What had God been doing for years and years and years with the people in this story in Isaiah? He'd been sending them prophets. He'd been telling them, hey, there are things you need to pay attention to. And in the middle of life, they just didn't pay attention to those things, and they, they didn't get in front of them. Look for warning signs. Look for those things in your life that says, if I don't deal with this right now, it's probably not going to get better on its own it's probably going to continue to get difficult. One of the areas this shows up in life most often is when we think about our marriages. When someone will talk about, I really need help in in my marriage. We're We're in a tough spot right now. And you begin to work back, and you realize those difficulties in marriage, they didn't start six months ago. They started six years ago, or, or 20 years ago, or 40 years ago, and, and we ignore those things. We don't see the warning signs, and, and the problems build up, and then we feel overwhelmed. And then we're in a place of embarrassment or difficulty, or we just feel like there's no way I can get out of this. God is good, and he will walk with you, and he will continue to walk with you, and you'll have people that will walk with you. But if I can just say this as directly as possible, the sooner we can deal with some of those warning signs, the sooner we can deal with some of those difficulties and problems, the better it's going to be moving forward. We, we've got to be able to get out in front of those things. We've got to be able to see what's going on. Developing good theology, that you have a good foundation of who God is and how he works before you get into those problems. Students, I hate to tell you this, life doesn't get easier. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard. You run into these things. You run into these difficulties. The problems just get big. In parenting, I was sure that all the difficult years in parenting were like up through year 18, and then when they moved off, like parenting really, you know, just kind of went into cruise control. 
you guys have pretty much just taken that away from me, all right? Like, you've pretty much d- disabused me of that idea. Like, the challenges of parenting just get more difficult. And so what we've got to do is we have to develop good theology, good foundations for life, so that when those problems come, we have a good foundation for dealing with them. So we're going to get above the problems. We're going to look to God. We're going to get into the problems with people that care for us. We're going to get ahead of the problems if we can. And finally, number four, wrapping up with this, we've got to go through the problems and keep going. Notice what that does not say. That does not say get over your problems. How helpful is that? You know, you're, you're in the, you feel overwhelmed, like you're barely holding it together, and a friend comes along and just says, you just got to get over it. And you're like, well, I'm not really in a place in life just to get over it right now. Like, I, I'm in a really hard spot. Most of the time, life is not so simple that you can just get over it. But what you can do is you can go through it. Why? Because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Because we refuse to miss the power of the resurrected king. That the one who has come into our pain, who has taken on our sin and darkness, is the same one who rose again. And so, yes, is life going to continue to be hard? Absolutely it is. There are going to be difficulties that come. But the one who dwells in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Jesus says that in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Why? Why do we take heart? Because he has overcome the world. That's why we keep going. Probably the most famous chapter in the Bible about the resurrection of Jesus is 1 Corinthians 15. So Paul lays out this whole chapter, like telling you why the resurrection is true, why the resurrection matters, why the resurrection is powerful. And he gets to the very end of 1 Corinthians 15, and what does he say? Be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. When you are in the middle of your problems, when you feel completely overwhelmed by life, God is still at work. He is at work in you, doing amazing things in your heart and your life, And in the middle of that junk that you're going through that feels so overwhelming, that's actually exactly what God is going to use to move you forward and allow you to minister and serve other people as you go through those things. What does Psalm 23 say? That as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what's the next phrase? We will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with us. When we know that God is with us, Even when we go through those dark valleys, we don't have to be afraid. Because the one who has overcome sin and death is the same one who is at work within you. As we wrap up this morning, a couple things to think about. Number one, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Have you experienced the power of the resurrection of Jesus in your life that you say, He is my Savior? He's taken away my sin. And he has defeated death, and I believe that. I trust in that. Have you received that? Are you holding on to that? Are you confessing him as Savior and Lord? If you have not done that this morning, the most important decision you will make is to say, I can't deal with this junk in my life. I can't deal with my past. I can't deal with my future. I certainly can't overcome death on my own, but I do believe that Jesus is able to do those things, and I trust him. I give my life to him. If that's a decision you want to make, make it today that we will be here. We'll walk with you through that. What right now is threatening to overwhelm your life? I was listening to a a sermon this last week, 
And the, uh, the preacher used this famous preacher statement that either, <laughs> either you're about to go into a crisis, you're in a crisis, or you're just coming out of a crisis. I mean, what's more encouraging than that right there, you know? I'm about to go into a crisis. I'm in the middle of a crisis. I'm just coming out of a crisis. We are going to, there are going to be things that threaten to overwhelm us. There are going to be difficult. What, what right now in your life is starting to feel like too much? Like it's just piling up. I don't know how much of this I can take. I don't know how much. Right now, this moment, this morning, during this last song, just choose to look up and say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I do trust your heart. I do trust your character. Let me be able to go through this to serve and encourage those around me. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Isaiah chapter 6 that reminds us when we're in pain and when we feel like panicking, we need to look up and we need to see how great you are and that you have come to us in the midst of our unclean lips. You've come to us in the midst of the darkness around us, and you brought hope. God, thank you for the gift of a church. We gather together as a church because we need other people to help us look up. We gather in a church because we need other people to help us walk through our junk and walk through our problems. And we gather as a church because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. God, as we sing together, as we pray as we bring new people into this church family to do all those things, God, work in our midst this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.